podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig is the perfect gift or addition to a small gathering. The Home Bar makes over 30 drinks from cosmopolitans to old fashions at the push of a button. Just insert the pod, press start, and enjoy. Each Drinkworks pod contains real ingredients and premium spirits. For a limited time, get $50 off the Home Bar with promo code HOLIDAY. Go to drinkworks.com to order now. Drinkworks, press play. Keurig is a registered trademark of Keurig Green Mountain, Inc., used under license. Please enjoy responsibly. We all have different tastes in music. Some of us like hip-hop, some of us like Vaporwave. So shouldn't we all be able to have different wireless options too? Because while one person might need unlimited, shared data might work better for someone else. And other people could be into having a mix of each, all in one plan. But that's their way, exactly the way they want it. It's your wireless, your rules, only with Xfinity Mobile. Go to XfinityMobile.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Requires post-pay Xfinity Internet. Break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard! It's 2-0! It's Chelsea's championship! And 50 years of waiting have come to an end! Lampard comes out to Essien! Again to Chessy Hour, part of the Touchline Fracas Network uh, weekly Chelsea podcast dedicated to all things blue and down at Stamford Bridge. Um, we're into week something or other of, of our little lockdown now, where every day feels like the same, but still trying to come with as much content as we can every week around all things Southwest Six. Speaking of Southwest Six. Today I'm joined by owner of the Chelsea-based media platform, uh, SW6 Daily. Dami, what's going on, mate? What's the scene? What's the scene, man? Thanks for, thanks for the introduction. Thanks for having me on here. No Looking bother, forward mate. to it. Looking forward to it. We'll get right into it. And then, uh, and then Joe, what's happening, mate? Good to have you, yeah. Dan. Well, I'm saying, man. People are going to be confused now that I've said Joe and it's not 
an accent that they're used to. So if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Joe, not Joe Tweeds, but <laughs> another Joe. If you want to tell yourself a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Joe. Just I'm 20. This is my second time on here. And yeah, I'm a Chelsea fan. Lovely stuff, man. Cool. Um, so listen, going to be a bit of nostalgia again this week in terms of... Uh, uh, a retro match analysis, something we touched on last week as well with Chelsea Barcelona 2000, which I'm still not personally over. I wasn't on the pod last week, but I was watching that back. And it's always good to get fresh eyes and realise how much of a disgrace certain ex-players were like Didier Deschamps in that game. It was a madness. But um, we're going to have a lot of reflection, a lot of sort of retrospective chat on today, going through different generations of Chelsea fans. Um, especially with me and yourself, Joel, there's a bit of an age gap there, so it's always interesting to hear certain things. Um, first things first, anyone who's had their eye on the Chelsea Hour account um, over the last few days will have seen a massive controversy get get sprung off um, when a, uh, an image, like a little edit, um, had been shared from Bleacher Report. Now, in this image, you've got uh, Alvaro Morata, Fernando Torres, uh, Jorginho, Christian Pulisic and Kepa Balaga standing as little five. Now, the, the misconception seems to have come by people not really knowing what the point of that image was. All it was, along with a few other clubs, Juve, Barca, Madrid, was an innocent little mock-up of a, a club's top five signings. Um, in terms of price, what it turned into was a massive defence of Jorginho and Kepa and Pulisic saying, they're not shit. They're not flops, which kind of says a lot about how Chelsea's transfer policies worked over the last few years. Um, so just to be clear, that is just what we spent our money on. And whether it's um, people interpreting it as, as poor signings or flops, that probably says more about how Chelsea have spent their money than anything else. So one thing I just want to put to you boys and have a little chat to, to start us off inspired by, by that Twitter discussion is, there are obvious cases in terms of Torres, Morata, but Dami, who else can you think over your your lifespan as a Chelsea fan of who were some of the worst signings pound for pound at Chelsea Football Club? Pound for pound? <sighs> Bakoko is up there for me, man. I can't even lie to you. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ. This man, That man is atrocious. I can't even believe... He's allowed to play professional football, Bakayoko. And there was a time when I used to think that I said, you know what, this man, I think we should give him a chance. Because, you know, after he went out on loan to AC Milan, I was like, all right, let's give this man a chance when he come back. And then I went to Ireland and he started passing to ghosts off of the touchline. So Bakayoko was like, what, 40 million pounds, something like that. I think for me, Bakayoko is one of them up there, right up there, one of the worst signings I've ever seen. Just to put the, the Bakayoko one in perspective, the thing that I always always sticks with me with Bakayoko is the fact that in the same summer, Chalaba left, who was a player who'd been years through the academy and looked like he had real potential and had made steps in that first year. Um, and Conte's argument was, yeah, but Bakayoko's played in the Champions League. And the difference is about 35 million. And and yeah, like you said, I couldn't I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It's interesting. Why do you think the Milan loan he was able to put together some form because it wasn't the whole season by any means, but he managed it. But at Chelsea, he's looked not like that Watford performance lives on for everyone. And he's mad. But what, what was the difference? Why was he able to put some bits of form in elsewhere? I mean, for me personally, I think it's because um, in Italy, because I used to watch Italian league back when I had a lot of time on my hands. I think the thing up in Italy is that 
they have a lot more time and space to get stuff done. You know, Italian football is a lot slower because of all the... Uh, they are more tactical in Italy. So Bakayoko didn't really have... He wasn't under any form of pressure. And that's what happened when he was in... Um, what's he called? Monaco as well. In France, the teams that you play up against aren't really that physical and like aggressive and fast-paced. So I think he was able to build up some form in Macy Milan simply because the fans weren't on his neck to perform that much. And because the Italian league is a lot slower for someone like him, who's quite slow upstairs. Moving forward, what's the answer for Bakayoko then? I mean, because Joe, I don't know who you're gonna you're gonna mention now, but when I bring up some of mine, I always keep in mind pound for pound buys, or at least you could recoup something. All right, Morata's up there, but you know we, we smashed it in terms of the return fee. What mm. what are you gonna get for Bakayoko in the market in in this summer? You know. If I'm being honest with you, the thing is, I'm not too sure. The thing is, Marina done the madness with that Morata transaction, and not, none of us can like. Can you imagine how much was it again? Is it 50 million? Or it was, I can't it was essentially nearly the full whack. It was maybe 10 million <sighs> off, 15 million off. Oh, what is she? Nah, she's she's a man. I don't know. She could probably do a madness with Bakayoko as well. But if you were to ask me, I'd probably get maybe maybe what 15, 20 million. I have no idea, man. Marina can pull off a madness. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, she's got a good record, but I don't know. I don't know what the market's gonna be like there. Uh, Joe, anyone stick out in your mind? In your mind, uh, pound for pound. So it doesn't even have to be a record or anything like that. But just someone who you expected so much more from that could have found their place on on this this Bleacher Report image if it was really what people thought it was about. Well, I can't lie. Drinkwater has to go up for me as being the worst signing this club has ever made. Honestly, for like. 35 million on a five-year contract for what reason just to sit on the bench like I I can't I I don't think there's one game I can go back to where I can be like he made an impact for us and I just feel like that is the worst bit of business this club has ever done I don't know why nobody stepped in to be like no this guy should not be coming over but well, this is this is the funniest thing as well is is that's why I mentioned in the pound for pound because the drink water one Okay, it's 30, 35 million. The, the immediate response would be, but we spent 50 on Torres and 80 on Kepa. W- what is it about the drink water signing that for you is just has it up there as far and away? At least with them, the other signings, they played. At least they had some impact. Torres had some impact, even if it was minim- minimal. Morata, he had some impact in certain games for us, even though for the long term, he wasn't that good. But with Drinkwater, he's had zero games where he's had an impact. He's barely played for us. He's refused to go out on loan or leave the club. He just wants to take up the wages. So it's like, he is someone that I've got to say, as a, for someone that loves the sport and footballers that you'd think they're actually in there for the sport, he was just there to just get a paycheck, in my opinion. When he realised that, yeah, he's just not cut out for a footballer at Chelsea. So he'd rather just take the paycheck than really play ball. And I can't lie, I'm not with that. I mean, there was a few, yeah, few reports there of sort of loan moves being lined up, but a lot of the, that being the only option because the wage being an issue. But I mean, if you're sitting there on 100k to train, um, boy, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not an easy one. Dummy, yeah. in terms of um, those players that were outlined on that image, um, the obviously Morata Torres now left the club essentially in Morata's case. You've got Kepa, you've got Jorginho, um. 
and you've got Pulisic. Kepa in particular coming for so much stick this year of all of the save percentages and just because he is the record signing. Mm. Is his fee, how much is his fee ever going to be salvaged? There's a lot of links with sort of a Nana potentially this summer. And I think there's even like whispers of, um, I've seen whispers of Areola earlier in the season. There was a link with Henderson, a link with Ramsdale. There's, it's floating around that, that, that there's a keeper, um, there's a keeper appetite this summer. But how can you see Kepa coming close? to justifying his value or do you think he never will and it might be a quick sell? You know, to be honest with you, I've been having a lot of arguments with a lot of people on the timeline about this. And the truth is, I've really made up my mind because as far as I'm concerned, everyone is saying Onana is going to come in, man's going to cost like, what, 30-odd million, whatever it is. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, the thing with Kepa is, man obviously had a bad season last year, but I keep telling people that back line is atrocious. Yeah, I know that Kepa, his saves have not been that good. I know that he doesn't really claim crosses and all of that. But do people really think Marina is going to make, like, he's going to take that much of a loss from Kepa? I don't see it happening at all. I mean, he definitely has to step up, but I'm not too sure if Kepa, because Onana is a better keeper, but is he that much better? to get someone that's 70, 80 million pounds sitting on the bench. I don't think so, man. And before people come at me in my mentions, because a lot of people have done that already today with regards to this topic, the truth about the matter is we have to consider the financial aspect of the thing as well. I just genuinely think if it was down to me, if Marina wasn't involved, I'd have been like, all right, let's sign Anana and then we'll just, it's obviously keep Kepa on the shows because I'm one of the people who says, all right, Tammy, Tammy's a fantastic striker. But, like, you've got to get someone that puts him on his toes. Same thing that happened with Drogba. Torres came round to Stamford Bridge and was like, yo, fam, I'm here to bounce you. And Drogba was like, I'm not having any of this. And he kept Torres on the bench and we wonder what happened after. So, same sort of thing has to apply to Kepa. But then I'm not too sure how it's going to, how it's going to bounce off. I don't know how much we could get for the man. Because well, I feel like the only people that want to buy him is Atletico Bilbao. Where he well, came yeah, this, well, this is the thing. And, and Bilbao, I can't remember, his name escapes me, but I just did see a, a story that Bilbao's keeper has been smashing it and attracting interest in himself. I mean, the, the point you made about signing players of quality, no matter what the situation, is, is something that speaks a lot to the squad we're going to reflect on later in the pod in terms of what we, what we lined up with in 2006 and seven. Um, quality players in multiple multiple numbers in the same position. I was just going to say, though, let's say Bilbao haven't got the money to recoup Kepa. How much of a market do you think there still is for him in Spain or in, in Italy? Um, because a, a lot of what I've seen in terms of the discourse around him that is a bit more fair, maybe, is that technically he just is in his ways, which are good for a certain style, strong reflexes, good around the box, good distribution. But the height and the command of the box is something that's never really going to stick in England. Now, this is just a debate, but how much of a market do you think there still would be for him in those countries to um, open up something a little bit safer, like Onana at a snip? Well, to be honest, if we're really looking at it, I think we can get a good 40, 45 million for him in Spain. Who's going to pay that much? <laughs> nah, but you got to remember, he is Spain's number one. So he is regarded more highly over there. For example, look at Morata. Everyone saw how bad of a season he had for us. But Letico Madrid still went to buy him. So it's like, they had the same TVs that we have. They see the same games that we see. So obviously, 
the respect these Spanish players have in their home country is very different from overseas. So I can imagine Bilbao or someone like that coming in for him. And well, Nana, with the fact that he's that cheap, I feel like that's one of the main reasons why we might go for him. Because if we are to offload Kepa, the chances of us getting the money that we pay for him is low. So we may as well get someone cheap in as well that can be just as good or even better. Because arguably, we've seen Onana in the Champions League and we've seen what he's been like. So for Kepa, I wouldn't let him go for less than 40, 45 mil because like you've got to make mm. some money off him. I don't I, see Marina taking an L that big, though. Honestly, I don't see Marina taking an L that big. She like, like Obviously, like you said earlier on, man, the thing with Marina, obviously, she doesn't like losing money. She does not like losing money at all. So for you to tell me, because like you said, and this is a hypothetical as well, I don't see, I mean, this is Dan's personal opinion and I respect your opinion as well, but I genuinely do not see any team in Spain paying £50 million for Kepa. Genuinely do not see that happening. And I don't see Marina even going that low as well. I think she'd want a bit more. But to run, but nah, but to just, just well, to I guess, be real I guess, clear, I guess Tammy, it's, it's in isolation you'd want a bit more, but then... Hmm. It's that it's that thing of sticking for another year and the value maybe dropping further with a year older and a year of performances that still might not look great. I'm not completely out on Kepa yet, if I'm honest. I think I think he was good, not great under Sari. I think he does have big game moments. I think his reflexes are fantastic. Mm. My concerns are around things that are maybe more specific to England in terms of physicality and box yeah. and and, and yeah. just. Yeah. dealing with certain certain um certain things like shots from distance and and technical things because from speaking to coaching mates the Italians the Spanish the English they all have very very different schools of goalkeeping and it's, it's interesting mm. to know, know that stuff so I, I don't know it's interesting we'll see I agree in terms of if the offer's not good then um it's not going to be listened to but if if there are keepers available on the cheap like an Onana or someone for less than thirty million pounds, which is which is outstanding value, then then it's an issue one to see. And and moving just to the left and front row of that that image again, Pulisic. Now I know this is a bit of a bit of a topic that Chelsea are get a lot of stick for. Again, I'm not out on Pulisic by any means. I just think final final ball cutting edge. He, he's not quite there yet, but he's still 21. Do you ever see him living up to valuation of second? most expensive Chelsea player ever, maybe third. I can't remember exactly who pipped it out of him and Morata. I think it is him. Um, do you see him living up to that value, Joe? Or does it matter if he does? Do we get too strung up in the transfer fees? Are they contextual and we shouldn't really look at the numbers? What's your thoughts on, on the Pulisic situation? Well, with Pulisic, I can't lie. When I heard about him coming, I wasn't too excited obviously because I've seen him at Dortmund here and there in flashes and obviously you're seeing Sancho in Dortmund and you can see the age difference and just seeing the lack of big performances from Pulisic so already we have someone like William who doesn't have the greatest end product can do a lot but the end product isn't great so for me I just felt like what's the point of getting a younger version of that because yes he can do all the dribbling the close control the pace and all of that, but when it comes to the end product, when it comes to picking up the final pass or to finish or to get the ball out of his feet quick enough or to look up when he has teammates in space, I'm not seeing that from him at the age of 21. And it's like, 
yes, he can get better, but I just don't feel like he's going to be that guy. Because since he's been here, he's only been a moments player. And we don't need, is it the second or third highest paid transfer to be a moments player? We need him to make an impact. I see a lot of people saying that he's he's an answer for Hazard leaving, but Hazard had way more of an impact, way more end product, even in his first season than what we're seeing from Pulisic. Would you, not, would, you not, would you not say that wingers are probably the biggest moments players of everyone, besides maybe strikers? Uh, they're able to fade out of games as long as when that moment for the assist, for the crossfield pass, for the finish or shot comes, they, yeah. they deliver. So is, it, is, it, is that going to be what holds him back? Or is it going to be just, like you kind of said, the, final, the end product not being the issue? Well, if you really look at it, for example, I know a lot of Chelsea fans like to put um, pin Cho up against Pulisic. But from the performances that I've seen, maybe you disagree, I've seen Pulisic uh, be more involved in the build-up, be, linking up play. He might not have the goals or the amount of assists that everybody would like, but considering coming back from an injury, you can see that when it comes to the build-up, there's times where he's controlling the tempo of our attacks. There's times where he's linking up, switching the ball. I don't see that enough from Pulisic. So it's like, yes, he can be a moments player, but how often are those moments going to come? If you're going to be a moments player, you need to show up often with those moments. And I'm not seeing that, and I just don't believe he has that in him. <laughs> fam, yeah. once again, I respect your opinion, but nah, fam, we couldn't disagree any more than that. We all have different tastes in music. Some of us like hip hop, some of us like vaporwave. So, shouldn't we all be able to have different wireless options too? Because while one person might need unlimited, shared data might work better for someone else. And other people could be into having a mix of each, all in one plan. But that's their way, exactly the way they want it. It's your wireless, your rules, only with Xfinity Mobile. Go to XfinityMobile.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Requires post-pay Xfinity Internet. You lot, I forgot, this man is 21 years old. While you were talking, yeah, because I didn't want to interject. I was going to, but I was not. I said I'm going to pull up some statistics. I'm going to pull up. I pulled up some statistics for you. So you all remember when Raheem Sterling used to miss open posts, like how many years ago, like four years ago when he was 21 years old? Do you guys remember that? And then he went on to sign to Manchester City for, was it 50 million? Can you guys remember? Was it 50 million pounds? I can't remember what it was. 45, 50, whatever it was. If you pull up the statistics, yeah, Pulisic has played 12 games. 12 games. 2019, 2020, 12 games. A man has seven goal contributions. When this man picks up the ball, yeah, from the from the um, from the from the midfield, like the third, the second third of the midfield, and he starts driving at the opponents. This man has this hazard-esque vibe to him. I'm not saying he's like Eden Hazard. No one can replace Hazard. No one on this planet can. But when Pulisic picks up the ball, something is going to happen. You don't get that with Callum Hudson-Odoi. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, let, we're not, I'm not comparing both of them. But for you guys to write this man off at this age, when he's still so young, this man was, was, this man had Madrid in his back pocket when he played it. Was it 17 or 18 or however the old, however old he was? But what I'm trying to get at is you've got to give this man some time. Let him actually recover from his injury. Remember that the reason why Sancho even got this man on the bench was because he was injured. I mean, yeah, he wasn't giving out the best output, but this man has only played a handful of games this season and he already has more contributions, like basically the same amount of contributions that Sterling had in 30-plus games when he was 21 years old. 
And I'm not even going to involve Callum because Callum has been injured for most of the season. But nah, man, Pulisic is for the future, man. I believe he can be a pre- he's definitely going to meet that evaluation. Definitely, I think he's going well, to. Well, this, that this is what I'm trying to get at 100. I mean, I'm glad I'm glad you you really sort of stuck your flag in the ground on where you stand on this because. It's always hard to judge young players. I'm definitely, like I said, not out on Pulisic at all. I think he's a good player. Mm. I think dribbling is fantastic. I think the problem with him is um, just that edge with 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 um, being a difference maker. But like you said, that comes with time. And I think the issue for the in, interest for me more is whether people think he'll live up to the valuation of second highest paid player, uh, not highest paid, uh, highest paid fee. Um, and as as it kind of looks at the moment, a lot of people are attributing his signing to maybe not now being able to fit a Sancho in or a, or a Werner in because you've got Callum who is on a massive contract, needs a commitment, Ziyech who's coming in and looks a really good player, and then Pulisic who's had a massive financial commitment into him. So I think he's a good player, Pulisic. I don't think he's um, by any means a bad player. I don't know where his ceiling really is, but are you... <clears throat> Are you of the opinion then that he will be good enough at the end of his Chelsea time where it won't be a thing for the club not to have got Sancho or not to have been able to be as flexible? As- you know, the truth about the matter for me yeah, is I believe in survival of the fist because I don't know. I mean, I, I probably probably haven't seen like my Twitter account or anything, but when it comes to talking about players, I'm always talking about the youth players, talking about your Mason Mounts, talking about your Tinos, talking about Gallagher's, talking about all them lot. But the truth is, it's all down to survival of the fittest. If we bring on Sancho, because we're Chelsea FC, for God's sake, do you get where I'm coming from? We've got Christian Pulisic, we've got Callum Hudson-Odoi, we've got Ziyech. Okay, if we side on Sancho and Boga, we want the best players for our team. Obviously, it's not like Ziyech, she's wrote 27, so it doesn't really fit into that bill. But Christian, Callum and um, Jaden are within the same age bracket. You'd only want the best of the best, don't you? So even if they do come, I just feel like... I Genuinely, if you ask me, I see Christian doing good things for Chelsea for a few years at the very least. I don't think his price tag is ever going to be something where like, oh my God, we spent this much on this lad and he never performed this well. But when it comes to actually getting in players like Sancho, I don't think we shouldn't sign Sancho because... Pulisic might come out good for us. I just think all competition is good competition and then he just chooses the best players at the end of the day. Remember the 20, that 2013-2015 period when we had like Scherler, we had Oscar, we had Willian, we had Hazard, we had what Marin, we had um, De Bruyne. At the time, the likes of De Bruyne and Salah did not cut it. Do you get where I'm coming from? Well, they didn't I, cut I, it at I, the time. He, well, well, well this no, this is the thing. This is the thing. I, I'd agree that they... Their performances weren't top-class performances. But where I would err more on the side of caution with that is you need some sort, especially that age, you need some sort Mix. of consistency to, to get that momentum, to get that rhythm mm. in play, arguably. And I think yeah. I think this is where like the Ziyech signing makes more sense for me and the Mertens link mm. makes quite a bit of sense because when you're an established pro, you can come in and out of the team maybe a little bit more. When you're a De Bruyne and an Oscar and a um, Schürrle and a Salah and you're there 21 to 24 and you're still finding your, your rhythm and your identity as a player, I think, A, it's, it's tough for them to flourish and develop, but B, it, I think it forces managers to make decisions that almost can't be made. 
Um, I don't think anyone would sit here and say that they'd rather have stuck with Oscar over KDB in hindsight. And then obviously the counter argument is, okay, but at that time, Oscar this, KDB that. But then KDB looked incredible when we did sign him and looked incredible on loan at Wolfsburg. Salah had bags of potential to be a top goal scorer. And Mourinho, he gets a lot of stick for it, and I've given him stick for it before, but I can't even see Lampard fall into the same fate. Let's say you have a Sancho, you have a Pulisic, you have a Hudson-Odoi, and you have a Zia. You can only play two, maybe three, if you lose Mount or Loftus-Cheek in a game. And then the one who, who then leaves, maybe it's not survival of the fittest, but it's the survival of the best at that time, where long-term is, is of detriment. I don't know, it's an interesting point to make. And um, again, listen, when we go over that game later, I think we're going to see the positive side of having so many top quality players. But we'll get to that. Just before we move on um, to a little bit more of a, a retrospective on, on previous sort of Chelsea generations, we've, we've had our moan, we've had our complaint about some of, the, some of the biggest ones, but just one each. Best value pound for pound signing. Now, I'm going to outlaw Drogba and I'm going to outlaw Lampard because they're the easiest. <laughs> they're pound for pound. So just who absolutely squeezed the orange and made the most of every penny invested in that player for you um, in your last burn as a Chelsea fan? Are we starting off with me as well? Or is it Joe? No, you can have uh, this one. You can have this one. <laughs> Lordy, Lord. Um, if you ask pound for pound, yeah. Oh, look. Now, this man took out what I was going to say. I was hands down going to say Drogba. Like, it's not even up for debate because my man won so many. Like, he was the big game guy. I mean, he was a if good If I'm champion. honest, if I'm, if I'm Frank, if I'm, well, no pun intended. If I'm honest, Frank Lampard cost 11 million pounds which was just before the transfer boom where 11 million looked like nothing all of a sudden and then was my, what captain in two European Cup finals and uh, top goal scorer ever. So I, that, it ruins the chat. So I'm taking him and Drogba out straight away. Straight away. Straight away. Lord. All right. Nah, fam. What else? What, what is this question? This man took out the bait answers, but nah, respect, respect. Um, I didn't get a lot of time to think about this, but I'm going to have to give this one to Sir Eden Michael Hazard. My man costs £32 million. £32 million. Can you think about... You can't get that type of player ever again for that amount of money. Hazard came in for what, seven years, eight years, and won so many things. My man used to, like... When... I can't remember what game it was that, like... We, every, it was certainly lost. And this man just came up with a 25-yard scream out of nowhere. Hazard, for me... I mean, arguably one of Chelsea's best players in the last decade. But, yeah, it has to be Hazard, man. £32 million. You can't really beat that, can you? Strong point, strong point. Joe, what about yourself? Well, for me, I'll have to say Costa, because... Even though he did cost more than a hazard with 34 million, it's like looking at the issues we've had since he's been gone, it's very, very evident that we did get our money's worth for the goals he brought to the club. Like he was immense in the big games. We went to big games not worrying because we knew we had him up top. We had people like Cesc who cost 29 million, which is another bargain, who gave the offer the majority of the season that they were here and you can see the big big 
difference since they've left. So I would say Costa, yeah, because literally he was so clutch for us in so many games. The things that I would see him do on the pitch, and I was seeing Tammy and Morata, and it's like just depressing. Like we've we've fallen far from where we used to be. So, so hold on, so him. hold on. I'm gonna challenge this one now straight away. <laughs> the Hazard one, I was the Hazard one. I was thinking, you know what? That's a lot of money. The, 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 the marquee signing, but I'll let it slide because I guess he was our best player for a generation. The Costa one, from when we're talking value and squeezing every inch out of the money invested, my brother went to Brazil to sit down for six months. No chance can he be the best value money. <laughs> yeah, Don't. but was that was that really his fault? Are we gonna blame Conte for that? Who are really going to accredit the blame for that one too? I won't lie. Uh, uh, Costa seemed like a joker and Conte mismanaged that second season so badly. But I've never seen a top pro at any club just piss off home for six months and play PS4 just waiting for it. Like, it's madness <laughs> to me. Listen, to be fair, I think Tevez did that, didn't he? With United. Yeah, to be fair, Tevez is another one who did. I think at City as well, he's just like, oh, I'm off, lads. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come and I'm gonna try and trump both of you two. And I'm not even gonna name my player. I'm just gonna ask you to name him inadvertently. Dami, best left back that you've seen play for Chelsea, please, mate. Lord, fam, I swear to God. I just want a one word answer, really. Just <laughs> best left back you've seen play for Chelsea, mate. Marcus Alonso. Oh my. All right. So. <laughs> Ashley Cole cost five million pounds. Five million? Was it five million? And, and William Gallas, who not only wanted to leave the club and had had a barmy with someone, but then went on to be a complete melt for Arsenal, stole the number 10 shirt, put the captain's armband on, had a meltdown at Birmingham and just never, ever reached the heights that he did for us. I, and then Cole come out with, what, three FA Cups? Two leagues, uh, maybe two leagues, maybe just the one league. Um, Champions League, oh, come on, man. In terms of value, um, I, I don't think the club have ever done any better than that. Bring back Peter Kenyon and all his dodgy ways. But anyway, um, moving on just quickly, I think this feeds nicely into our into our little retro section, looking back at the game. Um, amazing news this week with um, uh, Gianluca Vialli being given allegedly the all clear, according to a lot of websites and news outlets from pancreatic cancer, um, particularly aggressive form of cancer. He'd been dealing with it for 17 months. Um, he hadn't looked well in a lot of public appearances and stuff um, since that diagnosis, despite saying involved in football in different guises. Obviously, he came in, was a fantastic player in the sort of 90s revolution of, of big name foreign players coming to Chelsea and seeing it as a landing spot. Went on to manage the club. Obviously, was within the dugout on last week's retro game against Barcelona. Won a League Cup, uh, FA Cup, and I believe potentially Cup Winners, Europe, European Cup Winners Cup as a player. Um, yeah, he's massive servant to the club in a, in a massive time of change for the club. And most significantly to me, and this is where I'm going with this, um, the first name I ever had on the back of my shirt, because I am actually old enough to have to have got that. Um, I'm 28, so I'm a bit on, I've been a bit senior on you, man, in terms of who my first team was. It was that 90s team of Zola, Di Matteo, Viali, Petrescu, those sort of man. Um, so I always very much saw him as, as my first Chelsea hero. And looking back on it, I'm not really sure why there was... Um, 
There was Zola, who was the obvious choice. There was Dennis Wise, who had the allure of captain. Um, there was Di Matteo scoring finals. There was Eddie Newton, who actually came to my primary school to do some coaching and stuff. So I was buzzing about that. But for some reason, Viali just really, really stood out always as my first superstar hero who I wanted to be in the primary school playground, who I got on the name in the back of my shirt. I'm pretty sure I even used to wear a little wristband, sweatband on the wrist, just like him when I was six or, or seven or wherever it was. Um, so I just thought it was a nice time to reflect on and anyone who came on the pod in, in terms of who your first Chelsea hero was, who it might have been who made you a fan. It can be entirely personal. Viali was only here as a player for two years and was old and, and everything, and then my next one was Good Johnson. So by no means in the best ever player conversation, um, but just the ones that I really reacted to and resonated to. Um, and obviously, generation plays a little part in this as well. So it's, it'll be interesting to compare my one to Joe's and, and yours, Dami. So whoever wants to lead us off, yeah, let's just have a little think about who it was and most particularly why. This is see. The thing is, my answer is bait. It's kind of it's, it is quite bait to be honest. But I'm going to give it. I'm going to give some backstory first. Mention one player, and then I give my actual answer. So obviously, so I'm 20 years old, two decades recently, and uh, the thing is, I was actually a Chelsea fan before I got born. And that sounds a bit odd because my godfather, my dad's best friend, is has been a Chelsea fan for what? 40 years, 45 years. He's been a Chelsea fan for a long time. So before I got up my mom's stomach, and before they even knew I was a man, they actually did get me a jersey, a Zola jersey. I think he still has it in his house inside the frame till this day. But then when it actually comes down to someone that I chose by myself was... The thing is, I was a Chelsea fan before I even before I got the chance to, but I was actually... By the time I was conscious enough to actually know what's happening around me, I used to play a lot of football, and I, I still do, and I play as a midfielder, so I play as like a central defensive midfielder. But the thing is, I love going forward as well. And one player whose jersey I'm actually looking at right now, I have it hung up inside like a frame on my wall, is Frank Lampard. I know the answer is going to be bait, but at that sort of age, what else are you going to be looking at that squad? Obviously, I had your Drogba's. Drogba's an excellent striker, and then, yeah, that was like, what, 2006, 2007? Excellent striker, but for me, it has to be Frank Lampard, because for me, I wanted my game, I modelled my game after Frank Lampard. Do you get what I mean? So, for me, it has to be Frank Lampard, simple as. Yeah. Frank Lampard. Joe? Yeah. Well, for me, it was... Obviously, I'm 20 as well. So, for me, it was Drogba, really. Because, like, I think when I first seriously started, like, being able to, like, be like, yeah, I know what football is and I'm watching football would have been the season Mourinho came. Like, that's when I'll be... I'll feel I was old enough to understand. And just watching Drogba, obviously, with hindsight, you can... You can argue whether or not he was as influential when it comes to goals and all of that as you want with his stats but just being young and watching him whether whenever it was Arsenal or United in the FA Cup final he was just always that guy that would come through for us and it was just like watching him as a striker then watching him with Anelka and just looking at them tear it up for all the seasons that I did remember watching him I just have to feel like, for me, it was Drogba. Like, honestly, like, even like even had me supporting the Ivory Coast for a while, even though I'm Nigerian. Do you get what I mean? That's how <laughs> serious. Yeah, that's an impact. 
You know what I mean? That's how serious he was for me, you know. Like if I just always felt he was clutch, his hold up play, some of the things he would do with the ball was just like it was just crazy to me. And obviously before that, like I do remember watching Henri. And obviously Henri's levels compared Ooh, to drug but it's like it's that's just good. like to see the them them black ballers in the Premier League then as a young black kid and just being like raw, these guys are just tearing it up and their ability is just like almost limitless. It was just like for me, Drogba has to be that guy. In terms of that's an interesting thing as well, because I had a lot of mates who particularly resonated with West African players, whether it was like an Eto or a Drogba, um, or even if they were like Niger fans just just seeing like a Martins at Inter or something like that, it really resonated. Was there something particularly unique and, and meaningful to you as a young kid in terms of West African football really being put in on the map by, I know, okay, Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire, not Nigeria, and Cameroon isn't exactly Ghana, but then there's Anessia and there's a Drogba, there's... Um, Lasana Diara, there was all these players from West Africa did you, who were very unashamedly African in in what they did. And there's a bit um, bit of a difference there to when you see like a Sterling or, or whoever for the kids nowadays. Was there something more meaningful with like someone of Nigerian descent seeing someone like a Drogba or an Eto be at the top of the game in England? It, it, was, it was everything. I just remember like as a kid, like, when you like, for example, obviously I'm Nigerian, so seeing Mikel, it was like he was a hero for the national team. Like he was, even though um, I think Mourinho had him playing deeper for us for Nigeria, he was always in number ten, always a cam because like his ability was raised so highly, and it was just like as a West African kid growing up watching that, it was like when you're in the playground with your boys and you're all picking the players you're gonna be. We're all trying to be drugged by SCN, Mikel, like, and when it comes to the African Cup of Nations and when they would come back home, they're just heralded as kings. And it's just like, we all felt that we could be. Support for this episode is brought to you by Mrs. Myers. A delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything we make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived ingredients, our cleaning products work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. So bring a little bit of the outside inside your four walls and bask in the wonder of a garden from the comfort of home. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Shop now at mrsmyers.com. Be that too. So I would be like, yeah, it had a big impact seeing our, seeing heroes from our national, from our back home, being able to play for Chelsea and shine for Chelsea. Quality, man. Amazing. Um, so, I mean, this leads perfectly nicely into into the, the main topic of today, which is which is looking back at, at, at another classic retro match recap um, with the with the role that Drogba was going to play in it. Um, just before getting to get into that in, in more detail, both of you are 20. Um, so by the time around this game would have come, you were, you were, this might have been one of your first finals, really. Like I know my first final was uh, 96, 97 sort of FA Cup finals. 
um, that I really was aware of and was like, I've got to watch this. This is the biggest thing. Di Matteo's final goal against Middlesbrough in 97 was my first real, okay, I'm a fan and I'm watching this as a fan. Um, so, I mean, the Carling Cup final versus Arsenal, that's the one we're looking at today. Is there any memories you have from watching that as a kid and as a young supporter? And, and what were those? Ooh, for me, honestly, at that young age, not knowing what was happening, when my man got injured, Terry, and I saw the um, oxygen, because that was like the first time that I had seen a professional footballer on oxygen on the pitch. Lord Jesus, I was in tears, fam. I was like, how's the captain that injured? Oh, my God, mommy, is he going to die? She's just like, nah, you've got to calm down, my son. She pro- I feel like she didn't know herself because I was a nasty injury because I just watched it back a few hours ago and like, good Lord. But yeah, that's one of the things that actually stands gonna say, Even me. me watching that mm. back as a 28-year-old man, I'm like, oh, okay, wow. But yeah, man, like, that was one of the things that stood out to me as well. And like, I was just like, even the fighting as well. I think that was the first match that I watched where the players actually got, like everybody got involved in like a fight. You know, nowadays when you see people fighting on Twitch, you're just like, yeah, these lot are just trying to waste time or this or that. But nah, those two things, that match, yeah, it, it brought back memories I forgot even existed. That's all I'm going to say. It brought back memories I forgot even existed. But yeah, it's the Terry injury and the fight at the end that really, uh, that I remembered when I watched the match. Back. Brilliant, man. It's definitely, it was, I'll be honest, it was one that I'd kind of forgotten about, but it was definitely worth worth the rewatch. Um, Joe, what about yourself? Anything that really stuck out for you something that was different or or just what was it that you most enjoyed looking back on in this game well to be honest when i look back i don't think i vividly remember the whole match so when i went back i was almost like re-watching the match again for the first time so i think the one thing i would have taken away was the terry injury because if you watch terry throughout his career like he was he, he loved it. He loved to throw his head at the ball, no matter what would happen. So it's like, you, I think I don't know what year it was. I think it was oh four or five, when um I think Chelsea were playing United, and I think he had like a similar type of injury, but he got up from it. So I just remember from back then, would be being surprised when he's actually getting stretched off the pitch, because like I always expected him to be able to get up from that. But then when I watch it now, it's like... It's so funny you mentioned that. When I was watching it back again, there's a moment, I can't remember if it's the end of the first half or the beginning of the second, he's just outside, or he's just in between the the halfway line and the 18-yard box, and he just goes in for a tackle with his head. Like It's it's a low, low stooping ball that you go in for it with your foot if you're anyone else, but he's just nodded it away. And then um, the commentary that's on the the official Chelsea website where where I rewatched that, was saying up oh, it's mad that he's even playing because he, he had a breakdown of an injury against Porto the, the what three days beforehand four days beforehand so again there's there's even clues like you just said Joe in that game away from the injury is is funny it's almost foreshadowing of of what type of player Terry was um, and what he was willing to to put on the line for a result or what he, some people say he was stupid enough to put on the line for a result but we did quite well out of it um, they make players like that anymore fam. They, they well I think the, they might in the Phil Joneses but they don't have the talent to match <laughs> that's the problem why are we um, dragging the man fam but it's yeah, yeah which is the problem. but listen so interesting to watch it back man especially can can um, compare to now and, and looking at how squads are, are put together and 
I just I, I was saying to someone recently, and I'm sure this will come up in a in a future pod when we do some of the games from this year year span. But I just remember 2007 to 2011 for me just being the just my favorite era of football. In there, it had the roughness of the the early 2000s and 90s, but it had the quality of what was to come later. It wasn't quite as quick as it is now. In fact, it was a lot slower than it is now. But just looking at the names that we had lining up on any given day as well, we had starting in the diamond, we had checking goal, Lasana Diara at right back, who I've always thought was going to be a great player. His career didn't quite kick off as, as I hoped it would. Wayne Bridge on the other flank. Um, so there we go again. Ashley Cole just on the bench. Um, Ricardo Carvalho and John Terry in centre defence. Um, Makalele holding, Sien to the right of the diamond, Lampard to the left. Balak as as quite a deep 10. I wouldn't say it was a 10, but definitely at the front of the diamond. And then Didier Drogba and Andriy Shevchenko up front. Um, It was just mental to look at the squad that we had. And then you did have the Cole on the the bench and and all these sort of players that were just light work. Robin didn't start that game, came on in the second half. Um, Arsenal in that game weren't as um, full strength. I think Wenger at these times was still seeing the Carlin Cup. as, as an opportunity to reward the young players, which Chelsea had used it for rotation across the season, if you look back at the teams. But it was a real hallmark of that era in Mourinho just being like, no, it's a final. And those Carling Cup finals, League Cup finals, really were springboards for Chelsea. First trophy under the Mourinho era, again in the, in 2006-07, just really, really using it as, as a part of that winning mentality that got established. Um but if you look back at the media at these times, this is this final in particular really woke people up to the League Cup as a serious competition. If you watch it now, from the semi-finals on, all the big teams take it very, very seriously. And if you look back at sort of BBC reports and quotes from the uh, chairman of the FA and this and the other, this game and the tournament in general this year was really seen as being had extra value uh, due to the seriousness with which teams like Chelsea were taking it. So... Really, really good game. Um, and some hallmark of that era, like I said, was uh, Makaleli there winning every duel. Mourinho taking a final very seriously. Drogba v Senderos, which just that poor guy's career would have been so much different if if not for Didier. But what was you two's main takeaways then on the rewatch? Before we get into certain things, what was it that you just were really impressed by, surprised by, or, or just noticed? From me personally, man... I feel like a lot of Chelsea fans are going to listen to this. I don't know. I hope you guys can actually think about this as I say it. So take this information and think about it. But genuinely, it's I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or not, but if Arsene Wenger back in the day had a better coordinated advanced pressing style, I just think Wenger was ahead of his time with the sort of football they played because, my good Lord, what they were playing back then is what everybody is trying to play back now. The only thing, because obviously back then, I look at that Chelsea team, the way we lined up. Obviously, we've known for like for the past how many years, we only recently swapped back to like, not even swapped back to, swapped to possession-based football with um, Sari coming into the squad. But look at that team, fam. Like you said, look at the fullbacks. That's not, football back then has obviously changed from right now. But for me, Arsenal as a team and Wenger, I think he's highly underrated, man. I genuinely feel like he's underrated. I mean, he didn't win a lot of trophies with um, his style like later on, but I just think Arsenal was way ahead of its time 
in terms of how they were playing. I mean, what do you think? What do you guys think about that? I'm just kind of curious because that's one thing that kept on going through my mind while I was watching the match. What do you guys think? Well, for me, I'm going to let Joe come in in a second. It's an interesting one looking back because of how tactics heavy we are now. But I've always mm. been a big Wenger fan. And people think I say that ironically because I'm not an Arsenal fan. And, oh, of course, you'd love to, to stay. We'd lose every... But I've always been a big Wenger fan. I think, he, yeah, it's an interesting one you say. I think he was out of his time because of how maybe physical. the physical and defensive mm. everything got. But I don't know. It would be interesting to see him in a role now. It really would. But I think... The counter-argument to that is they played some lovely stuff. Fabregas was yeah. fantastic, really oh dominated God. the midfield. Um, and you had uh, players like Diaby, who had a great game. One of my favourite Arsenal players, who was unfortunately really struck down with injury. He was a fantastic player. And then you had Theo Walcott, who, let's not forget, Walcott scores an incredible goal in this game. And he, um, he that was his first goal for the club. He'd only just turned 17 recently, and, and he was... And the hype around him at the time and the flashes of ability he showed at Southampton, I'm not being over the top. Now, I'll say this with my advanced years. I'm not being over the top when I say that when he signed for Arsenal at 16, it was he'll become what we think Mbappe is now. That was the expectation. This is the future of English forward football. And there was that, that game, there was glimpses where he really showed it and he looked incredible. Um mm. So I think, but then on the counter side, what I'm getting to is I think this it was just a classic Mourinho game, you know, and yeah. they, they were allowed to play that stuff in areas where it maybe didn't hurt so much. But as soon as we got it, Drogba Senderos, over it goes, and we know we're gonna we're gonna make the most of that. So it was an interesting one. They did have the better of a lot of the first half. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Where do you find? Where do you land on that side of the argument, there, Joe? Are you were you really impressed with how forward-thinking Arsenal were, or do you think they played into Mourinho's hands, or do you think something else altogether? Well, to be honest, when I saw the team they put out, Arsenal put out, I was kind of like, oh, this is going to be a, a easy victory for us. But when I looked at them, considering we were playing the diamond, so we had Makaleli, Balak, Essien, and Lampard in the middle. I felt like they was able to just play through us with ease. And it was just like, we did do a lot of pressing. I felt Lampard, Drogba, Shevchenko, like there's a lot of pressing from our side. But it's kind of like the way we are now with the whole 4 2 3 1 with Mounts being the um, starting the press and then them just passing the 1 2s and being able to just bypass our midfield. And I felt like a lot of that was happening in that game especially in the first half I just felt like it was almost like Chelsea Kate just did not wake up I just felt like they just was not alert or underestimated Arsenal and I felt like Cesc was just in the middle just pulling the strings and had us on ropes but um, obviously we had Terry and Carvalho who were clutch at certain moments in the game and Essien and I think Diara had a bit of an okay game as well from the beginning but Wayne Bridge was just, uh, Walcott just had him on ropes from the beginning. But I would have to say, yeah, that he even made them um, Mourinho change his shape in the second half when he brought on um, brought on Robin. So it's like you can see that Arsene wasn't no like as much as people do have a lot to say about him now. He didn't know what he was doing to a certain extent back in the day. Well, so no, I, can't I, I was impressed. To add, add some context to your point. This was a team that. An Arsenal team that had Philip Senderos, who was just Drogba's favourite players to play against, Armand Traore, Hoyt, Danielson, um, Ali Adier, 
starting up top before Adebayo got on. Um, and Baptista, who was was never amazing, and Diaby Walcott, who was still very, very young. And Sescu, of course, he was world-class at his best, Cesc, but he, he was very, very young. So it was it was some team to be as in charge as they were, especially first 17, eight minute, 18 minutes. They really were in charge. Uh, Dami, looking back at it, though, who... I think quality won out, if I'm honest. Um, Walcott's goal, it was a quality goal. He can take it from a corner. He, nicks it. he goes back and nicks it himself, plays a lovely little pass into... Uh, Diaby goes runs on the blind side. Diaby finds him brilliantly, and the curled finish just leaves Czech completely on the ropes. After that goal, I think Chelsea really get a foot in. Who did you see as the main players of the, the team at that time period who just owned the pitch and just put things right and steadied things? I think Carvalho and Terry were absolutely right. Joe were an amazing influence to have at the back there, and it's something we really miss now, just having two players who you are so confident will deal with everything. Dami, who stood out for you? Who stood out? Um, see, the thing is, yeah, there's no... I'm going to talk a lot about one specific player from that came on in the second half, which is Robin. But before I get to him, obviously, you have Drogba. My man's... This fam, I know he's a bully, but good Lord. Good Lord. This man was bullying... What's his name? I can't even pronounce it properly. Um, Sandra. Fam, he, fam, Drogba is a bully. He's an outright bully. Also, Balak, my God, Balak is such a good player. I've always known about Balak, and when he like signed for the club as well, I was just like, who is Mark? My uncle was just like, nah, he'll come in good. And all the years that he did play for us, I'm really happy that he did come. Lampard as well was really, really good. Was really, really good. And Peter Cech as well. Peter Cech, see, Cech is actually a top-level keeper. Forget about all the Champions League and all of that. Back in the day, my man knew what he was doing. But to be very honest with you, the one player that I kept on concentrating on, simply because we signed Ziyech recently, was Robin. Do you guys? I didn't see I because when um, we wanted, to, when you remember, do you guys remember we had the Ziyech and Sancho debate early on in early on in the year before we actually did sign Ziyech and like late last year as well. I was one of those people that were just like, nah. I mean, yeah, he's a left-footed wing, right winger. Yeah, it's not necessary. It's not really that necessary. Like, I mean, yes, yeah, Sancho is a talent. That, but Robin having a left, I simply feel that if Robin had stayed on at the club, would have been a completely different team entirely, man. Robin was out of this world, out of this world, and I just feel, just by watching him, I just feel. I mean, Ziyech is not nowhere near as fast as Robin is. But I just think if Bayern didn't have Robin all these years, I don't think they'd be where they're at at the moment. I just feel having a left-footed winger, right winger, is very, very important. And I think he's the last... I think, I think as well, what people underrate is we talk a lot about Salah and De Bruyne. Um, we lost Robin early. He mm. went to Madrid early, spent yeah. his prime years at Bayern, and the impact he did make while at us, was, he was an incredible player. Um, mm. And yeah, like you said, and, and, and it was alluded to earlier, we... We weren't amazing in the first half. We stuck it out. I think Makaleli uh, won every duel that he was in. And I think that's an interesting chat to have at some point about where exactly he ranks in best Chelsea players of all time, whether it's a top 10, a top 15 or a top 20. I think he, top 10, definitely. I think he maybe goes underrated these days. And I don't think mm. people appreciate how big a sign in that was. It wasn't a Galactico, but Madrid weren't the same team for a year or two after they a lot of the players complained Zidane called it having a Ferrari with not but selling the engine and 
just his experience <laughs> of Europe and international football and him being turning 31 when we signed him for a lot of money, 16.6 million. But just watching him again, it's always been in my mind how important he was. But I, so calm, technically nowhere near as poor as he was always made out to be. He just didn't do fancy passes. Um, just an incredible, incredible player. And again, similar to what we said earlier about... Um, certain players coming in at the right time periods, he just changed the fortunes of the club in that um, Mourinho season in particular. Um, so well, but but he is the casualty at half-time. He comes off for Robin, and and yeah, like you said, the cha- shape changes slightly. Robin at first is given a bit of a free roll, then it goes into a sort of an asymmetric little 4 3 free with Drogba out to the right. And um, Drogba's who I do want to sort of just lean on now for a minute because uh, something came out in the Athletic recently about Drogba and Shevchenko's relationship on the pitch and there was a quote from Drogba saying that Shevchenko was forced very much into the lineup at times and Drogba felt that it was his responsibility to get him into the game and he never really felt like that was repaid. Um, 100% you could see that in this game. Shevchenko, wow, just in terms of he had one amazing strike off the bar, but he was so off the pace and the quickness of his decisions was slow, physically not at it. And it was it was really, really, really shocking to see. I'd forgotten how much he struggled, but you can see the moment where Drogba's trying to play him in as a front two here and then. And then he just says, no, nah, I'm done. I'm going to take this game into my own hands. And then. That's what leads to the first goal. So you mentioned Balak. Let's talk us through that. Let's talk us through that first goal for us, the equaliser. I mean, I think I've done quite a bit of talking, to be fair. I just want to keep on talking. Joe, do you want to take this one on? Yeah, so so the first goal, I can't rely. When I was watching the match, I was very very on and off just because I, I was just like very shocked by how poorly we was playing I just felt like we just were not prepared for what Arsenal had that evening so when Drogba got that goal out of nowhere it was kind of like raw it kind of reminded me of how we play nowadays anyways like we'll have a abysmal good half an hour and somehow just manage to just muster something out of nothing when Arsenal fell asleep and then obviously with the first goal, it was just like, you could tell that like Walker had the better of Wayne Bridge. But it just says a lot about how clutch Drogba was because if we're really being honest, he did not have that great of a game. It was really just trying to get the ball down to him and just hope that he does something. But really and truly, Arsenal was solid defensively for a lot of that game. Shevchenko was very, very poor. I felt like he was just slowing down everything. Even on this in the second half when... Robin had came on and Robin had gone to the left. There was a point where I think Shevchenko had the ball and he was, I think he was trying to get to Drogba or get to Robin or one of the two and he was just being too slow and the attack had gone. I just felt like he was, he was just a. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. 
passenger, really. But yeah, Drogba did try a lot, but I felt like Balak had an okay game. Lampard didn't have the greatest of games. Um, I just felt like they had they won the midfield battle. So from that point, it was an uphill battle for us to really win that game because we didn't have we didn't play the best football. But it's Mourinho, so I'm not surprised that we came through. But with the first goal, yeah, it just did come out of nowhere. You brought up the Mourinho factor, and you've also brought up that maybe we lost the midfield and. And you also sort of likened it to us this season and the Lampard era, if you if you will. What is the current team lacking for you? Obviously, spoiler alert, we've mentioned that we've won this final, but all we've sort of done is wax lyrical about Arsenal, really. But what is this team missing in terms of the professionalism and the winning mentality to really see through games that, the team from 2007, 2005, 2006, 2010 had. What is the, looking back at this game in particular, what is the missing ingredient to just add that steel, that edge, that professionalism to come through adversity like this team did? I feel like one thing I think I have noticed from the Chelsea bunch right now is that a lot of them are young, a lot of them have come from the academy or come from loans or finally getting their chance. And I feel like they're still stuck in that I can't believe we're here mentality and they haven't really, or maybe they've gotten too comfortable in the point of being like, yes, I am a Chelsea player now. My dream has come true. But it's one thing to be a Chelsea player and another thing to be a Chelsea player who's made a difference. So I feel like they're still, they haven't had, climatized to the type of mentality that they need to have, that winner's mentality that I'm not coming off this pitch until we get that result that we need. Like, I felt at no, at no point did the Chelsea players look like they gave up. Like, even though it was not going for us, at no point did they believe the game was over. And I feel like at times we do have that, for example, against the Arsenals and maybe the Liverpool match we had recently. But I feel for the majority, they're just not having that that I don't even know the grit just to be like, yeah, I'm gonna grind out this result like no matter what. Even if I have to pull it out of my pocket. I feel like a lot of the time they do give up and it's just like whatever happens, happens mentality. So and I what, feel like that's is, the difference. Like, obviously obviously the the initial thing will be uh sign more players. And I think Dami's point, which I'm I'm he's alluded to a few times, is left back we had Cole Ambridge. Striker, we had Shevchenko and Drogba and Kalu. Midfield, we had Essien and Balak and Lampard and Makaleli. So we we did have the quality there that we potentially don't have now. But yeah. when people mention players, it, that's not how the market works anymore. We're not the nouveau riche club you can buy everybody. We have to think of another way to introduce that. And I think if you look at how Mourinho came in with that team, Lampard had won nothing, was 25 Drogba, 26, had won nothing um, uh, up until that point. Terry, I think, was 25 as well, had won nothing up until that point. Um, Wayne Bridge, signed from Southampton, mid-20s, had won nothing up until that point. Obviously, he brought in a few players he knew in terms of Ferreira and Carvalho. Petr Cech came in, 23 years old. I think he might have won the league in Czech Republic, but not, nothing to the extent that he would win later. Um Obviously, you had the experience of the Makalele and the Balaks, and that's great. But if Chelsea can't sign players like that anymore, which I don't think they can, to be honest, in my opinion, what needs to change from Lampard, from the coaching staff, from the players 
to create that same mentality, do you think, and have that immediate impact like Mourinho did in 2004-05? He's got to wake them up, really. I feel like that's the difference. Like you said, like not all of them were proven winners when Mourinho came, but the difference was they had Mourinho. And it's like Mourinho was the type to sub you off in the first half. He would like... He never let them rest. And I feel like as much as I am for Frank and Jody and Joe Edwards, it's like they have such a very friendly and comfortable mm. environment that I feel like Frank, I, I don't want to just put it on the players. Sometimes I feel like Frank maybe isn't pushing them enough in the sense of like, yes, you are Chelsea players, but to be a real Chelsea player, these are the standards I need you to reach. And I feel like maybe Frank needs to, one, when it comes to the rotation, for example, he needs to be able to have comf- like have players that have confidence. I feel like he hasn't handled the rotation well this season. So a lot of players are playing without confidence. So it's very hard for you to go on winning runs or be able to grind out a result when your confidence is already low. So I feel like that's one thing. Confidence needs to be brought into the team by the background staff. And they need to be more stern. And like I feel like they're just taking too much of a calm approach. And yes, they're young, but they're still professional footballers. They know what it means to make it for Chelsea. Like there's a lot of players that could you could argue that were better than them that did not make at the club. So they need to take that opportunity. And I feel like Frank is not hammering that message in enough. This man, Frank, when Kepper started misbehaving, man was like, "Fam, you've got to pattern up." He put him on the bench for three, four games. Is it correct me if I'm wrong as well? And let me know if I'm correct. Wasn't it the Arsenal game where Frank was like, all right, Emerson, I'm not having any of this. He put man on the bench and then he put Jorginho on. Was that, was that, was that, was that, there was a game like that, wasn't there? Can someone just like... Yeah, and, and, and Jorginho came on one of his better performances of the season. Yeah. And then post-match, Tammy was saying, look, without this guy, when this guy come on the pitch, it's changed mm. everything. Exactly. So like, for me, honestly, when you say, the thing about people like Frank Lampard and John Terry, see, that thing was the fact, see, you can't just go out and get someone that's passionate about club. To get those sort of people, you have to breed them from within. And those people that are being bred from within have to distill that attitude into any other player that comes in. Jorginho is a rare breed in the sense that my man came in and actually had, I don't know if it's, I mean, I would say he loves the club, I'm assuming, but like my man has that mentality. To get that sort of mentality is very, very difficult. You have to grow it from within. Frank is a no-nonsense man. He is no-nonsense. Obviously, he's going to give the youth players a lot of chances, but he's a no-nonsense man. So, and he knows more than anybody else at Stamford Bridge, maybe bar Peter Cech. He knows what it means to put on that blue shirt every single time. So, when it comes to actually breeding people that can get to the levels that we have, like, the ten- that to show the tenacity that John Terry showed in this match that we're talking about, you have to grow them from within. And that's why I feel the team... I'm not saying that it should be youth players from, from the goalkeeper all the way up to the striker, but there needs to be like four or five youth players that are going to grow into this squad, start from young, people like Mason Mount, people like Tammy Abraham, people like Reese James. These are the people that are going to bring that culture back. And the best man to actually distill that culture into them is Frank Lampard. So I don't think they're being a bit too... Now, obviously, they're trying to be a bit friendly. They're young players. And if you guys haven't noticed as well, all these lot, they use their... They, they use their um, social media quite a lot obviously you lot see um jody morris on twitter a bit i see frank lampard liking stuff 
Like, so obviously, uh, the, the younger side of things, so they're not going to expect, don't expect that Mourinho tenacity. But at the end of the day, if you're going to ever get back to that level of dedication, you have to do it from within. You can't just go out and buy a 26-year-old player that's going to be like, yeah, this is Chelsea. Nah, you can't do that anymore. You can't do that. I get that point. But also, you got to look at it. For example, when Pulisic first came on in the first couple of games of the season, he wasn't that great. When yeah. Callum was fit after the, was it the Grimsby game, you saw that he was getting minutes and Pulisic was holding bench. I feel like the reason why that was happening was because Frank wasn't, when it come, at the beginning of the season, when it came to Cho and Pulisic, I feel like he had more favour for Cho because he's, a, he's from the academy and Pulisic wasn't no, his no, signing. No, 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 Let me land for a second, listen, because... Then Pulisic did end up, because you could see there was a lot of talk in the media about Pulisic not getting game time and Callum's playing. And then the second when Pulisic came back in and he started scoring those goals, it kind of took Frank by surprise in a way. Like, he didn't expect mm. that. So now at this point, you can't just take him out of the team. Do you get what I mean? But then also looking at Kepa, I feel like, yeah, Kepa's a signing that I feel like he just generally doesn't have faith in anyways. When you look at, um, at Emerson... And Alonso, he doesn't fancy either of them. He'd rather play Aspion as left-back than the, both of them. So when you look at the Arsenal game that you're referencing, yes, he did make that change, but I feel like that change is more a Jody Morris thing. Because if you were watching the game, you could see that, yeah, it was Jody that kind of like was doing the paperwork, then going up to Frank and be like, oh, do this, do this. And I feel like if Arsenal didn't push our hand as much as they did, that change would not happen because there's so many times that he should have made changes. And what I'm saying is that he doesn't, I'm not saying that Frank does not have the ability, but you also got to remember what is the talk that is always going on in the Chelsea dressing room that are the players do what they want is um, player, player, player power and all of that. So I feel like Frank is also trying to make sure that there's a very calm environment because like this is a job where there's little room for mistakes. So the last thing he needs is a bench or dressing room that isn't, having faith in him. Do you get what I mean? Look at the rumours that was coming out about Emerson not liking the training and stuff like that. So it's like those things have to be taken into consideration. So I, I feel like he's just not being stern enough to a certain extent. And he also needs to be able to correct the mistakes he makes that leads to these players not having the confidence or having the mentality to feel like, yeah, they can grind out results. It's, it's, it's a good point. And I think it's, I think it's interesting... It's something Chelsea have talked about a lot in terms of fans in, um, Frank's in his early years as a gaffer. And I think a lot of this stuff will correct itself as he learns and as he develops. And it'll be interesting to see if he brings that Mourinho mentality into these players. But moving on from Frank to the other sort of real spearhead of the attack in, in his years at Chelsea, I don't think you can talk about this final without talking about Didier Drogba. I don't think you can talk about any final that Chelsea have reached without talking about Didier Drogba. And Joe, you alluded to it earlier about this new school kind of, and I'm allowed to say that because I'm a big old 28-year-old man, but this new school fandom <laughs> online mm-hmm. in the post-Ronaldo Messi era where everything is goal ratio and everything is goal and assists, con- uh, contributions. Listen, give me a striker who scores 15 in the league but scores in every cup final and scores in Europe every day over stat padding anywhere else. I don't think people can ever chat to Drogba in any meaningful way 
we're not including the finals and the impact that he made. Like you've said, it, it wasn't a game that Chelsea were completely on top of. I think better in the second half. Um, first goal, brilliant. Drogba, slap bang out of nowhere. And then second goal, just incredible header up above Sendros. Great little clip cross from Robin just above his head. Far post. One of the best headers I can remember him doing, to be fair. Like it was, it was beautifully placed. But just again... In terms of the impact that Drogba had on that Chelsea generation and on winning and on the early years of, of cup finals and, and finishing, how big a legacy do you think Didier leaves from that period, let alone later in the second in the second spell in Munich and everything? But that first period, fuck goals to game, he was world class. And, and how big is his legacy now as a Chelsea number nine? Oh, see that man is the definition of gargantuan, genuinely. And this stat thing as well, like, I don't even bother arguing with Chelsea um, fans about stats these days because whenever someone tries to pipe up to me about stats, all I have to do is bring up Hazard's stats. It's as simple as that. Hazard was never someone that had the greatest um, output stats. Obviously, had nice dribble stats and getting fouled, all of that. But when it came to goals per game and assists per game, it was never that great. Drogba was a top-level striker and not many people can say they scored as many important goals as my man did in his career at Chelsea. Like, that's the sort of thing you should be emulating. Not all this nonsense where, and this is not to write off Aguero either, because you've got a lot of people piling up to me saying, Aguero, I don't know if he's even passed Drogba's goal tally at this point. I think he has. But it was just like, oh, Aguero's going to have scored more goals than Drogba did, small goals. Yeah, obviously, we're going to score five goals against Norwich, and then you're going to go miss it for the next 10 games. Obviously, you're going to get a really good goal-to-game ratio. What am I trying to say? People these days look at statistics and then everything is about stats. You've got to use your eyes. You've got to look at the matches where they scored. Drogba used to score in all the big games, every single big game. And you can't even argue with me when I say, if Drogba was on the pitch that day, for example, we're even going to start with this game. If he was on the pitch this day, there's no winning that league. We're not winning that cup, not at all. Let me not even get into the Champions League because without that man... There's no way we'd be able to pattern up to all these Arsenal fans about not winning the Champions League. So, Drogba is up there, man. Up, up there. You don't need statistics to back that. All you need to do is have a brain and look at all the things he's actually done for you to actually defend the man. It's as simple as that. And it's not like he was a bad score scorer as well. He used to score quite a lot. 100%. Comprehensive. Mm. Listen, boys, running running towards the end, uh, I think it was was an interesting match to watch back. it, yeah, it was. It gave a little reminder of what a Mourinho Chelsea side really looked like, to be fair. So I do encourage any listeners, if you get some spare time, go on the official website, watch that back. Um, and just before I let you both go, just a little bit of fun, because as as uh, the media massively covered in that game, it was it got coined the Snarling Cup final instead of the Carling Cup final because there was a massive ball at the end. Legs were tired. Arsenal had lost the game by this point. A um, few little meaty challenges went in. Little elbow was flung at Fabregas at one point. Um, Robin got crunched. There was a few tasty ones. And uh, out of nowhere, Mikel gets in a little brawl, I believe, with a bouet. And then it all kicks off in, in, the, in the injury time. Um, Fabregas and Lampard have a proper little scuff. Adebayor gets himself involved. It's a red for Adebayor. Um, it's a red for a bouet, I think. And a yellow for Sesk. Um Maybe even a red for... I can't remember. It's already escaped me. It was me, Mikel Toure and Adebayo. Uh, Toure, yes. It was Toure, not Abue. And uh, listen, 
I don't want to hear anything from any commentator when they always say that's not what we want to see. It's exactly what we want to see. <laughs> yeah, it's the most fun thing ever when watching sport is to see a massive fight. It's amazing. So I'm going to put it to you lot now. I'm going to come up with some rivalries and some uh, some good fights from that game. And it's a quick fire round where straight away after I've asked the names, you tell me who's winning that fight. One to one, who's punching up who else from that game? Number one. Number one. SEMV Abue. Mm. Abue. Abue. Wow. Nah, I feel like you'll have SEM still. I know you're an Ivory Coast fan when you're saying Abue. That's... <laughs> okay, okay. So there we go. Number two. Drogba Adebayor. Drogba, man. Drogba. Drogba's having Adebayor all day. 100%. Adebayor's a lanky little man, isn't he? <laughs> Number three. Number three, because this is the one we needed round two for, and it never happened. Lampard Fabregas. Lampard Honestly, with a humble sesk. Nah, nah. Fabregas, man. If you rewatch that, Fabregas, see, Fabregas put that man to the ground real quick. If you have a look back at that. That was young has Fabregas, it, you know. That was young sesk. Young sesk, fam. This man has aged, and I don't know what sort of lessons he's taking now, but nah. I genuinely feel like we'd have had Frank if he I, left. You know what? I think, I think, I think Frank might. Frank might have him in a in a fight that has rules, like a boxing match. Mm, yeah. But if they left to their own devices, Seska's a little nasty streak, man. I've got him taking that one, I think. You I've think? got him taking that one. Mm. All right. Last two. Okay. Ricardo Carvalho mm. versus Alexander Kleb. That's a real skinny scrap, that one. <laughs> Kleb has the height difference, isn't it? He has a, he has a reach. But, um... He doesn't have the reach. He doesn't mm. have the reach. I don't know how they get down in Belarus, but I feel like they can fight. I don't know why. Yeah, he looks like a skinny I might I'd... give that to Kleb, you know. Mm, yeah, I might. Well. Just because of the yeah. height difference, I think that's the main thing. And, and Mario does look like someone that would scrap, to be fair. But, yeah, yeah, I think he'd, ask, he'd tap out. Listen, last one, end the pod. This is probably the biggest rivalry from that entire game. So be honest about this. And, and, and I think who's going to get it? One to one, big scrap, fist to fist, Wayne Bridge, John Terry. Terry. Terry, that man. See, that man <laughs> takes other people's <laughs> wives, fam. That man doesn't give a damn, literally. I feel like he didn't. Nah, nah, nah. This man went to for like a foot tack with his head. He, he, I if think he doesn't the only thing life, with this one. Yours. I think Terry will win most fights, but there must still be a lot of rage in Wainbridge. Yeah, but Terry's t- Terry's too smug. You wouldn't let him get that victory. I hear that. I hear that. I don't think he would. I don't think he would. I don't think he would. All right, gents, thanks so much uh, for your time this evening. We'll be back next week, same time uh, as usual, Thursday night, Friday morning release, Chessie Hour. It's been me, Yasin, Dami, and Joe. Um, bless up and everyone listening don't forget to check out Dami and all of his work on SW6 Daily um, get out there on the Twitter and everything else till next week everybody thank you so much and, uh, and that is absolutely phenomenal doing the most true say that money is power so when you get money keep quiet and ghost ghost I remember when I shot my shot, but I didn't have guap, so I hit the post. But next time it's a golden goal. And it- Everyone needs more vacation, right? 
The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. Sports Social Podcast Network.